0: Welcome to Street Knowledge with Chris Graham.
1: Welcome to the podcast. Getting close to the weekend here, and we're going to talk some news with Crystal Graham. Crystal's been busy working the beat, working the streets, trying to get some stories out for us. And Crystal, boy, I tell you, a lot of good work uh, the last couple of weeks. And I want to talk first with you about a really important piece you did last week that we've also editorialized on. Uh, on homelessness in the area, the area where specifically Stanton, Waynesburg, Augusta County, and uh, you had been thinking about doing a story generally on the topic of homelessness, and then as you were reporting on that story, you stumbled upon something very important, very timely, that will have a very negative impact on lots of families in the area that have been helped out by federal funding that's about to run out.
0: Exactly. Originally, I had read a story about how baby boomers uh, were more of the homeless population right now that those numbers were increasing. And I reached out to WARM, um, which is one of the uh, refuges basically here in Waynesboro to see, um, you know, what, what, if that if they were seeing the same trend that's been going on nationally there as well but what I found out actually after I reached out to Brian Edwards is their board chairman and he also was serving kind of as the interim ex- executive director they're looking to bring maybe a new executive director in in the fall but in the meantime he said you know I can get you that information but right now we're kind of focused on the fact that CARES Act funding you know a lot of people got funding related to COVID. And one of the populations that got funding was related to the homelessness folks, people who are homeless, or as they like to say, unsheltered. And the reason for that is because when there was that stay at home order basically issued by the governor, the idea was we need to get the homeless in a place, but not necessarily in a congregate shelter. So places like the Valley Mission and Stan actually had to reduce their numbers so that they could have some distancing and that kind of thing. And what they did was they opened Uh, basically hotel shelters. So there was a hotel in Waynesboro and a hotel in Verona that opened their doors basically. And they were able to uh, house the homeless in these individual rooms, right? And so what Brian said was that basically in, in our area the homeless are mostly singles. They're not necessarily families and the families are housed at that warm house where they can have, I think he said, up to seven families. But in the meantime, these individuals were housed in Waynesboro and Verona. Well, the funding is gone now, and of course, it served its purpose. You know, now there aren't stay-at-home orders or anything like that anymore. But what that means is uh, that those shelters are closing. So basically, the Waynesboro shelter. Uh, has already closed at this point and some of those people were relocated to the Verona shelter or they found other you know housing for them. Uh, The Verona shelter is closing mid-September so all of a sudden you have these 75 rooms is what they had between the two shelters and these people are are going to potentially be back out on the streets. Obviously folks on the ground are trying to find placements for these people you know um, in temporary places like the Valley Mission but (laughs) Um, as you can imagine, those places are, are filling up and, you know, these people who have been off the streets for so long might all of a sudden be back on the streets. The bigger issue is permanent housing, right? So the bigger issue is trying to find these people a place to live permanently. And there's usually subsidies or grants, you know, for a couple of years for these people to get housing in our area, but there's no ways to put them. There's not a lot of affordable housing options out there that they can use these subsidies for. So, you know, I was talking with, um, Uh, Lydia Campbell, who's with Valley Community Services Board. She's the coordinator of Valley Homeless Connection, which kind of looks at the, you know, it's a wider area. It's not just Stanton, Waynesboro, and Augusta. It's also Rockbridge, Bath, you know, a a wider area. And and basically what what she said is she's only, they're only making about five placements a month for permanent housing. And that's across the board, like all their programs. Uh, So unfortunately, there just isn't a lot of options.
1: Yeah, uh, when we did the math on this, uh, seventy-five hotel rooms that are being used and have been used the last couple of years, there are when you add that to the the shelter and the shelters in Waynesboro. You mentioned Warm, the Waynesboro Area Relief Ministry, and then the Valley Mission in Stanton. it's About three hundred sixty-five uh, uh, spaces for people who are homeless. We're losing twenty percent of those when we lose those uh, some this month, some next month. So. Uh, and as you mentioned, we've we've wrote and we've written this, uh, I think it was this past spring, we wrote about the, the lack of affordable housing in the area. Uh, there's plenty of housing in the area. It's just a lot of it's on the higher end scale. Um, and with uh, inflation and, and uh, you know, issues there, you're, you're, we're starting to see people kind of squeezed out at both ends there. The people in the middle are getting squeezed out. Um, yeah, we, we, we could be seeing a crisis of, of big proportions coming soon.
0: And the other issue, Chris, of course, is that warm is typically, warm and some other organizations come together typically in the fall, and they open up these uh, shelters for people in the coldest months. It's usually from uh, about Thanksgiving Day to about Easter, right? And they rely on uh, churches and those kinds of places to open their doors and allow these people to come in. Usually it rotates among churches. You know, they uh, warm sends volunteers to the churches, and people can, you know, therefore, be somewhere safe during the coldest winter months uh, what brian edwards said again is that the the struggle is that some of these churches aren't quite ready to open their doors yet they're still hesitant about because of covid uh, you know so they so they're, they're a little fearful that they won't have as many opportunities, uh, even during those coldest months, uh, because the number of churches, uh, you know, just just aren't going to be there, you know, and it's, it's not that the, the churches are being cruel, they have to worry about their congregations. And as we know, from going to churches in the valley, a lot of the population is aging, you know, so I'm sure that that's a concern as well. So that's, that's the other part of it is that, you know, there, there may be a struggle this winter as well, uh, you know, during the coldest months to keep people safe.
1: And if we don't do something about it, it's not like the problem just isn't a problem for the rest of us to, to worry about. Those of us who are fortunate to have uh, roofs over our heads. Um, as Brian Edwards mentioned, he's a former police officer in Waynesboro Long, he, he, in fact, retired as a police officer before and, and then now has moved on into education and, and working with the homeless. Um, he mentioned that uh, a lot of folks who are homeless end up in jail or they end up in hospitals, emergency rooms. And so, uh, jail, uh, to, to Keep someone housed in a jail is infinitely more expensive than finding permanent shelter for them. Uh, And also uh, the the, the costs to Augusta Health, which get passed on to the rest of us uh, to to deal with issues in the emergency room, also very expensive. And we we, again, we either way, we 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 end up paying those costs so we could we could pay more or we could do some things uh, in an organized fashion to actually help these people. Um, and, uh, you know, it's frustrating to me, Crystal, that we, we've known since the beginning of COVID that these funds were going to eventually go away. However long that would be, they would go away. We could have used that a couple of years to, to, to get something in place. Now we have an emergency situation happening. And that's, it, it's unfortunate that the, the way we tend to deal with issues is we just wait for something to, to pop up as an emergency, then we deal with it. Or, or we don't in the case. And it doesn't seem like there's any activity uh, from either Waynesboro City Council, Stanton City Council, Augusta County Board of Supervisors to even address this issue.
0: Yeah, and I would definitely urge folks, if you haven't already, Chris wrote a great editorial on Augusta Free Press. Just search homeless um, in our sidebar, and you'll find that editorial that he wrote on that exact subject.
1: So let's uh, let's move on from that. That's That was great reporting, and we're going to continue to follow up on that. Um, you got a chance to, to sit down uh, this week and talk with a friend of ours, Uh, who is changing careers, Carl Magenhofer, familiar voice to tens of thousands of people in the Valley for his many years of work at WSVA, you know, he worked with other stations as well, but, you know, the, the news reports he did for so many years, he's going to be using his voice for another purpose.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Chris. So yeah, Carl's been with the news business. Uh, We say news and sports, I guess you could say, because he's done some work for Bridgewater college and JMU and local high school sports. Some of that with the radio station, some of it kind of moonlighting just because he loved to do it, you know? And, uh, Carl is actually three days into a new job now. He is the pastor, are going to be installed as pastor this Sunday at Timberville Church of the Brethren. So he has been on a four-year journey, and I would actually say perhaps a lifelong journey uh, to to make it to the pulpit so he told his story about how basically you know when he was in a youth group in high school a number of those folks uh talked about going into the seminary you know and that he kind of wasn't quite ready for that he wasn't feeling the call but he knew that maybe eventually someday he would end up um at the pulpit his grandfather wasn't a Episcopal, uh, priest and, uh, didn't do that until much later in life. He was in his sixties when he got the call, as he said, and went to Tennessee to get to seminary school and ended up, you know, preaching, uh, for most of the rest of his life. So Carl had an inspiration in his grandfather, right? Uh, so, um, you know, about four years ago, uh, he kind of d- finally decided that, that the call was there, right? He had he had uh, decided that this was something that he wanted to do. And so he went to a Christian growth institute, uh, di- different than the seminary, because he said if he did that, he'd be able to work one day and probably have to retire. So he went to this uh, this growth institute. Uh, he's done four years of classes, and then he was hired just recently um, at, at, at the Timberville Church. So he'll be installed on Sunday. And uh, I wrote a great Piece about his journey from from when his his now wife and him were dating, um, and you know until now, and it just kind of talked about the path that led him to the pulpit. So many times in his life, he felt like he was maybe getting the call, but believe it or not, one of the things that held Carl back was he said that even though he was in radio, and everybody thinks you know radio people make great MCs and the great public speakers, that he should be invited to speak at their club. Carl was actually. He did not like public speaking. He did not feel good about it. He thought he was terrible at it. And so um, he had to kind of overcome that. And one of the ways that he said that he did that is he feels like, you know, you know, God, Jesus is speaking to him. And so he's giving his words. And so that's one way that he's, you know, able to overcome uh, some of his hesitations about speaking in front of people. His congregation at Timberville uh, Church of the Brethren is about 50 people who attend in-person services. So it's a nice small church that him and his wife have been attending for several years with their kids. And so he feels very at home there, you know? So the, the, he's got big shoes to fill though, he'll admit, because the uh, the pastor that he's uh, taking over for has been there for over 30 years. So uh, he's, he said he he's sure that the, the congregation in a way is ready for some change Changes, you know, anytime that somebody new comes in, but he just wants to make sure he makes the right changes. So I'm very excited for Carl and his new path.
1: You know, we we work uh, and and we we've done TV shows together, Crystal. Uh, I've I've done TV a lot the last several years, uh, calling uh, various sports on ESPN for ESPN3 and ESPN Plus um, radio. I, in fact, I work with Carl on some some games uh, broadcasting on WSVA way back in the day. And what people don't, yeah, you think. Oh, man, he's used to talking to thousands of people at a time. But you're sitting in a little area, and, and they're not in front of you. <laughs> you know? You're just talking. I mean, literally, when I, we, you work a game in a, in a broadcast booth, and, of course, Carl had a chance. He, he talks in the story. He was offered a chance to be JMU's play-by-play f- football guy.
0: His normal dream job, he said, you know, when he was, he said, had that been 10 or 15 years ago, that was his dream job. He would have loved to have done that. And, and in this case, the opportunity came up last year and he was in the midst of his classes. Yes. And so he said he had to make a decision at that point, you know, d- does he want this career in news and sports or does he want to continue on this path to become a pastor? And he chose the route to become a pastor. And so he had to say no to that opportunity.
1: Yeah. When you, when you do that, it's, it's different than standing up in front of people. So it's, uh, yeah, it's um, good for Carl. He's, he's, he's a good guy. We've known him for a long, long time. Excited for Carl in that respect. Hey, another story you did, a feature story on, on, on a person we know. Um, someone who was your middle, one of your middle school teachers. Um, and we've got to know, uh, again, later in, later in our lives, uh, a, a well-known author, um, Beth Massey. Um, she's she's having some issues right now and someone like her who's who's just dedicated her life to helping other people now some folks are reaching out to help her
0: exactly Chris and what happened basically was Beth had been for 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 a good little while posting some kind of I say hopeful messages, things like everything will be okay. This too shall pass. And I'm friends with Beth on Facebook. And I started thinking, you know, something might be going on, you know, but I wasn't sure exactly what, you know, with COVID and, you know, she's a writer, her husband is an illustrator, an artist. And so I thought maybe it was just struggles related to finances because they are the, you know, they are the example of, you know, struggling artists, so to speak, they're pursuing their love. They love what they do, but it doesn't always, you know, deliver a huge paycheck at the end of the day. Uh, but just recently Beth, uh, Beth, uh, announced on Facebook to her friends, um, that she was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is of course a type of blood cancer. And, um, she's very optimistic. Her dog, her doctors are optimistic. From what I've read about um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, the survival rate is very high for that. So, um, But she is undergoing chemotherapy and radiation now. And while at first I thought, you know, this was a private battle and it wasn't something that I was going to write about, a friend of hers did step up and start a GoFundMe campaign. And so that's kind of when it went public. And since we've known Beth for a long time, she would never ask us to write a story. And I decided not even to interview her for the story. You know, I, I know that it's a very personal matter. She's very fatigued right now, um, but. You know, what, what What? her friend said basically in this post is, look, Beth is trying to do everything she can to continue writing, you know, um, Courtney and her husband uh, is kind of, you know, serving as caregiver to her right now. And it's probably been a little harder on her than she expected, you know, and so his goal is to raise $45,000 for the couple, basically just to make, um, you know, whatever the duration of this treatment is a little bit easier for them, you know, whether it's getting her signature chai at Starbucks, that's one of the things that her and her husband love to do. Um, you know, fuzzy socks, that's one thing she talks about all the time, you know, Um, just little things that hopefully will go a long way, not to mention paying the medical bills, you know, that are going to pile in as a result of this. Um, But at the end of the day, there's a huge community of writers and friends. And like you said, the people who went to school with Beth are, you know, fellow teachers, students, you know, who are really stepping up. Um, to try to help Beth and Court out in these terrible times, you know, these tough times for them. And so um, already, you know, when I look this morning, I think there's already been $17,000 raised out of what is an eventual $45,000 goal. So certainly um, I think that it's very heartening to see that the community is stepping up to help so much um, of someone who has given back so much to Waynesboro. And I wrote about that a little bit in the article. I won't go into it in depth here, but Beth has done so much Um, for this, for the city and this region. So it's nice that we can all just do a little something to give back to her.
1: And as we're wrapping up, Crystal, I know you're going to be working uh, the next couple of weeks on um, uh, something that uh, there's been at least one high profile death uh, of of a youngster uh, related to fentanyl. Uh, And so you're going to be taking a look at uh, the the impact of fentanyl uh, on, on our region.
0: Yeah, Chris, I'm I'm hoping to in the next few weeks, uh, talk to everyone from the Virginia Department of Health about the Revive program to, you know, the drug task force, Virginia State Police, local police about the issue of fentanyl and uh, drug overdoses in our region. So, yes, you mentioned there have been a couple of high, high profile things. You know, what's happening is people are buying drugs on the street or online, you know, these non-label drugs and they may be per- Percocet or Xanax or something that, you know, that's a legitimate drug, but they're finding that, um, unfortunately, it's some of these drugs are laced with fentanyl. And so when they're doing autopsies on these people and they're looking at their bloodstream, it's not necessarily that they have a bunch of um, drugs that they shouldn't have in their system. You know, it's just that for whatever reason, these drugs that are being bought on the street, you know, unfortunately have have components in them that are causing You know, young people and people across the board to die. So I'm hoping to get into that issue a little bit about the issue locally um, and and what's being done. You know, and what the statistics are and and how we can all you know work to address this issue.
1: Looking forward to seeing the results there uh, and and you know learning more about this and then and then seeing if we can help uh, propose some some ideas for how to how to deal with this issue in our in our community. Uh, Lots of communities across the country are dealing with this issue right now. We wrote about uh, uh, uh the, the TV series dope sick uh, which has gotten 14 Emmy nominations there was there's a lot of local ties there that, that that series is based in at least in part in Virginia and um you know the opioid crisis has been ongoing for quite a while and uh, uh we're still we're going to be dealing with this for for some time so hopefully hopefully your work can help us uh, you know point some things in the right direction well crystal thank you as always for your time great work uh, and we'll look forward to talking to you again soon
0: Thanks, Chris.